In the age of Instagram and social sharing, brick-and-mortar businesses offer a unique advantage that even the biggest and best online platforms can't compete with. On Brick and Mortar Reborn, we talk with business owners and industry experts about what they're seeing work best for brick and mortar businesses who aren't just competing with their online counterparts, but thriving in spite of all the options that customers now have. We'll share exactly what you can do to set yourself up for success with an experience that wows your customers and keeps them coming back for more. And now our host, Bobby Maramat. Hello, everyone. Very excited to welcome Melissa Gonzalez, CEO and founder of the Linus Group and principal at MG2 Group and author of The Pop-Up Paradigm. Melissa, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Before we get started, um, if you don't mind kind of telling us uh, a little bit about yourself, and I'm actually curious what The Pop-Up Paradigm is as well, if you don't mind uh, kind of explain that to, to our guests. As you mentioned, I'm the CEO of Lioness Group and a principal at MG2 and really uh, see myself as a strategist and storyteller. So really focused on the strategic parts of retail and design. For me, when I wrote The Pop-Up Paradigm, it was really about how to build human connections in digital age. And at the time, if different meeting, we were talking about all of these companies going to e-commerce and how do we still keep the important aspects of the physical touch point? Because that is what builds human connection, right? Storytelling does online with social media and all this other stuff, but it's, it doesn't compensate fully for physical. And now I see that conversation evolving as like how to build human connections in the digital age where we're going to see the store becoming even more digitally enabled. So it's going to be an interesting challenge that we're going to have over these next couple of years as we're seeing such an accelerated adoption of, of technology across generations. And, you know, with that, what made you write the book? What, what got you excited to write the book? Um, you know, as you were kind of working with different clients, it's something kind of sparked that that interest. Yeah. You know, I, I when I wanted to write the book, it was just I needed to get the thoughts out. You know, thought leadership is super important when you're a business owner um, so that people understand that you're kind of approaching work from that lens. And, you know, for me, there were a lot of questions around, you know, was pop up a fad? Um, what are the different reasons why people could do a pop up? I didn't feel the industry needed a how to book, but really kind of just understanding the place that pop-ups have within the industry, different use cases of people who had done it well, um, what questions you should ask yourself. Is it the right time to do a pop-up? What are the alternatives if not? And there is a section in the back that does talk about technology and how it's going to reshape and some of it coming to fruition and some of it not yet. But that was really the purpose of writing the book. That's awesome. What kind of clients uh, do you typically uh, work with or most excited to work with? We kind of have an interesting array of clients. So on the TLG side, really work a lot with D2C brands and pop-ups really evolved to serve the purpose of kind of prototyping. So a lot of them were coming to physical retail for the first time and they were being able to test and learn a lot and pop up everything from what, what's the right store format? Is it shop, you know, shoppable showroom, cash and carry? What's the right duration? Um, what's the right square footage? Does this city make sense? Is it viable for long-term tenancies? So that was really exciting because we kind of serve as like their adjunct retail team that, that they don't have. So really get kind of working closely with them side by side to figuring those things out. And then we work a lot with mass brands who are just either turning to pop-ups for product launch and more immersive experiences or just rethinking format. And it's an interesting, you know, with Nordstrom Local was super interesting for us, right? Because that was an example of, 
you know, we have our full line stores and we have, you know, large format, but how do we rethink what's possible in a localized way in a smaller footprint and kind of leaning into a lot of our experience with D2Cs in order to be a partner with them for that. And then the third is the real estate area where we spent the last couple of years working with them of how do we develop turnkey platforms that allow the next generation of brands to test in a seamless way. Pop-ups were being done in one-offs and there was no systematized approach to, you know, a seamless way to get doors open, but also data collection. How do we analyze that data? How do we figure out who's the right fit in a more systematized way? So those are the three areas for sure. And now being under the MG2 umbrella, which became effective January 1st. So (laughs) talk about joining forces at an interesting time in the world. You know, they kind of soup to nuts work with everything from specialty retail to large format F&B, but also community environments, you know, residential, hospitality, hotels. And then they do a lot of like client programs where they're kind of full service soup to nuts for for clients like a Costco. So it's been interesting too, because it's helped me widen my lens and thinking of consumers from multiple touch points, everything right now, like from home to retail and the impacts of change we're seeing right now is definitely holistic across that whole ecosystem. So we're definitely having a lot of more cross market conversations and just kind of trying to be as forward thinking as possible about what's going to feel right in the future. That's one of the points that we wanted to kind of talk through today is kind of that evolving buyer behavior and, you know, what, what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen so far in customer behavior, consumer behavior? It could be throughout the years. And what do you think is actually coming next? I mean, I think right now it's we're going to see, uh, you know, this first phase of tactical answers to safety. And I think that that's just, it's a lot of Band-Aids, low cost ways to do it because they just have to get it done quickly. People aren't sure when, you know, spend is going to come back or how quickly and stuff. So they're trying to do things inexpensively. And I think, you know, those on the front lines, grocery stores, for example, are like, doing a good job as quickly as they can with wayfinding signage and adopting contactless payments and curbside and and all of that. And some of these fixes that they're doing will be short-term in nature as we find a vaccine and things come out. But some of it is really an answer to how consumers are being reshaped longer term. So in that aspect, what I see evolving is the adoption of technology across generations. And it's going to impact a number of things. It's going to impact the split between front of house and back of house and the curation of what merchandise lives on the floor and how we optimize for order ahead, buy online, pick up in store, curbside, what have you, right? Because those are now conditioning us around more conveniences as well. And they're only convenient, (laughs) you know, if they run efficiently, it's not helpful to me if I'm waiting outside for an hour to get something, right? So, but then how do we add the human layer back to that? And I think that that's the thing that people don't really know yet, but shopping and retail is emotional. It's an emotional experience, right? There's a gratification that happens when you get something new and we can't lose sight of that because then, you know, it's, it's just going to feel too clinical 
And it's going to be harder for people to come back to stores for anything besides like an essential need because it's just not going to feel right. So that's the next layer. You know, there's makeshift things that we're seeing now on on the cash wrap, you know, people kind of barricading in the cash wrap to keep it safe and help you keep distance by putting, you know, storage boxes in front of it and throwing up a face shield and stuff like that. And they're very makeshift and you accept it for now. But months from now, you know, how do we rethink some of those fixtures and different categories, right? How do we rethink the beauty tester experience? So there's going to be a lot of the dressing room is probably going to be one of the most complicated that we're going to have to figure out because there's so many nuances to it. And then how do we rethink the storefront window is a conversation we're having. And does that become something that we multipurpose? There's the aspects of it is it's your key storytelling tool especially now if people are kind of waiting outside to get a pickup, but does it also multifunction kind of as like that drive-through experience, but in a way that feels good. I think there's a lot that we're kind of talking through and thinking about, and I don't think you're going to necessarily immediately see a rush of more store rollouts as a priority, but I do think you're going to see, you know, some improvements and investments in those improvements and making retail feel human in addition to feeling safe. And do you feel like these are temporary changes or you feel like, I think no no one really knows kind of what what the future holds, right? The next few years, but do we think these are kind of temporary and and there's going to be a new normal around them? Or is there, what will you kind of uh, think uh, of the future? I think in a lot of senses, people will go back to a lot of the ways they were once it's safe to do so. And different things will make people different people feel safe. I think universally there's a vaccine, you know, just like back in the day there was polio, there was chicken pox, there were all these things, there were measles and and we all operated again once we found the vaccines and it felt safe again. So human nature is to be social, it is to go out, it is to interact with others. And I think that there's going to be so much of a demand for that with all the Zoom fatigue you're seeing and everybody on a device and not have it, right? So I think people are going to crave it even more. But some of the makeshift stuff, like, will we wear masks forever? I don't think so. Are we going to have to put on gloves and sanitize forever? I don't think so. But are we going to expect the efficiencies and conveniences of technology integration? Probably. So how do we rethink customer flow and design to account for that? So how do we account for the fact that X amount of shoppers, you know, are going to probably order ahead now and a bigger percentage? And how do we optimize the efficiencies of how in-store associate delivers their need and then also has an infrastructure to do the high touch service for those that are going to want to come in again and touch and feel and get a one-on-one experience with the salesperson. So, you know, that's, I think there'll be a different mix between how we think of front of house, back of house. I think there'll be differences between how we think through entrances and exits to optimize for that. I do think that's why storefront windows, it'll be interesting to see how they could maybe be more modular in design so that they could multi-purpose as needed in a way that feels right. I think people are going to rethink the sidewalk, 
mall groups are going to have to rethink the parking lot. There's a lot of things that are going to have to be rethought because of the acceleration of technology adoption. And because we can no longer say after this, that technology is for millennials and Gen Z, like Gen X is using it. Baby boomers are using it. So we're going to have to think, you know, rethink the, those buyer personas a little bit. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. It was actually interesting. I was talking to a guest yesterday and they were thinking, you know, after there's kind of a new normal and people are starting to get back out there, actually store locations are going to see a surge in traffic because exactly what you said, there's that thought and that, and that want to get out there and actually have that human interaction and go actually physically shop versus shop online or whatever the case may be. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. With that, how do you feel, and I know omnichannel is kind of a buzzword, but how do you feel like putting together, you know, now that there's this phase where people have started to adopt it more digital technologies, What's important to make as a part, like, how do you bring that together with the in-store experience better than you ever have as a retailer? Yeah. I mean, I think we, we had to make it fun. I think we need to add a personal later to it. And people had been talking to that before and it was just, you know, how, how much should we tap into privacy and, and what would people feel comfortable with, which is interesting comment in itself these days, because if we're talking about like us downloading an app for contact tracing and temperature checks and all those other things, we've already kind of gone down another path of privacy. But, you know, it's some of the things that I was saying is that we tap into it in that I think a lot of people band-aided and saying like, oh, we do curbside or we do, but they don't really do it. So it's got to be more integrated now from a holistic standpoint and really thinking of a unified commerce experience, right? Like you just need to think of Melissa as a consumer in a fluid motion. Like I'm interacting with you in any way. And when you enter my store, I got to be able to, you know, satisfy your needs just as if you were shopping for me in any other channel. So how is it still visceral? And, you know, how is it still inspirational and all these things? But then how am I also like getting you to check out faster? I don't know that we're all going to be necessarily Apple store experience, but, you know, thinking through that stuff, like, you know, can I check out through my phone now? The cash up experience in its own is going to have a whole new life, but you also can't do it in a way that you totally polarize people either. So I think it's going to take like a concerted thought process. And that's why I like the buyer personas probably have to be rethought because we have to think of the different use cases. Like there's the person who is super tech savvy and is going to order ahead and is going to want something efficient outside the door. But then how do we add surprise and delight to that? So it isn't just transactional. It isn't just like, I love Starbucks and I know that they're figuring things out right now, but now, you know, I've tried it because I'm also like, okay, I got to be experiencing these things as safely as possible. So I order ahead to my coffee and there's just like a group of people waiting outside with their masks, social, you know, spread apart. And then when it's time, I open the door, there's just a table with a cup with my name on it. There's not, there's no human spirits about it. You know, I've done it a couple of times to see how it's maybe evolved, but I'm probably making coffee more at home now. Cause that actually feels more like good and human to do than that transactional part. So even if we lean into curbside and Bopus and all that, how do we add the, the surprise and delight back? Is it a good message in the box? Is it is it training staff is even more important? They're so they got to understand the technology. They got to understand so many things around messaging in a different way. I think it's those little touches that are going to matter even more now. Yeah, no, agreed. Are there areas that you think retailers should avoid doing, or, or things that they should avoid doing during this process as they're rethinking part of their strategy? I mean, I think right now, you know, lean into safety first, but. What they shouldn't do is forget about their brand. 
signage is important. And I think guiding people through, you know, one way aisles, or this is the proper exit, or this is the proper exit, or, you know, we now take curbside, all of those things are, it's their words, just like text a tool, we have to add the brand on top of it. So my point is, don't forget about that part, it could still be in your brand colors, everything doesn't have to be in an alarming red, you know, (laughs) feel scary, you could add some just personality to it, you know, there, there could be a fun way to tell people to stay apart, that doesn't have to feel so icky, but more just like, Hey, we're in this together guys, you know? And I think that the ones that take the time to layer that part in are going to have more success in keeping their, that emotional connection with their customers. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. You know, you talk a lot about, you know, you got to add, you got to add the the company personality, you got to keep that brand, that brand strategy alive. And and as you think that, what are some of the the notable brands that you've seen um, have really great in-store experiences? And and what are you kind of looking forward to from your favorite brands? I haven't figured out yet how they will evolve, but I mean, I always think of Nike is pretty interesting to me, for example, because they already with their stores in New York, like the new flagship store, they had such a high adoption of people who had their app that they were able to make a tech enabled store pretty successfully. And people did it right because it spoke to that customer and they were tech savvy and everything like that. So it'll be interesting to me how they can lean into that as their stores reopen. I think in creating an experience that's somewhat contactless but still feels engaging and immersive. They have, I think the utilization of, you know, the full height of your walls to create something that feels immersive and light and sound. And there's other things that don't rely so much on touch that add that storytelling and immersive layer. So I think it'd be interesting to see, not everybody has the budgets of Nike, obviously, but just the mindset around it. Like, how do we lean into color? How do we lean into sound? How do we lean into utilizing ceilings and high walls and as a way to interject story and experience without relying on so much of the tactile elements? Are there some key takeaways or like if you had like a top three list or whatever the case may be for retailers to make sure that they're thinking through as we come out of, you know, again, the COVID days, go to kind of a new normal, if you will? Yeah, I thought top three things. Well, I I think it's still, it's going to be a phased approach. So as you think through the store floor, um, think about your merchandising strategy and, and prioritize for what needs to be in store and what you could fulfill online so that, you know, you're kind of utilizing the the floor space in the most effective way possible, especially if we're having to deal with reduced occupancy limits and, you know, kind of spacing things out. This way you're highlighting the things that really need to be highlighted. I think, you know, think through that mix of front of house, back of house, you might need to incorporate some modular elements so that the space could flex more now than ever before. So you can accommodate for those things. And just, you know, just remember like, we got a layer and it's kind of a trifecta right now. Safety meets surprise and delight meets efficiency if we're bringing in the technology element. And so, so to me, like if you could make those three work well together, you're probably more positioned for success. As you've been working with these different brands, as you looked at technologies, what's some technologies that you've seen been adopted faster 
at a faster pace or faster than you expected, at least. Definitely contactless payments for sure. But, you know, that has a lot of definitions. So because mom and pops and mass, you know, chains are adopting it to me, I think, which is, which was great is like QR codes were finally seeing life last year when the phones evolved so that your camera detected it. And Thank goodness, kind of, because that's been a really low tech way for a lot of the kind of mom and pops to to have contactless payments. Like they put a QR code on the door and they just like link it to a checkout page and you could, you know, buy from them that way. And I think that that's been really great as a tool to be able to do that. It's like a low cost, really effective way. If you could just make a nice landing page that you could utilize it. So to me, that's been great to see. Um, I've also seen some other technology companies like um, Future Proof actually giving away their contactless payment technology for free. You know, and I think that's smart. I think a lot of the challenges wasn't that people didn't want these tools. I mean, it's a catch-22. There wasn't a lot of consumer adoption, so it wasn't a priority for brands and retailers to implement it. But we need that technology to solve a consumer problem. So there's more adoption of it because they have no other choice, right? If most of these are going. And so now stores need to implement it. But on the flip side, there's been so many challenges in cost to implement, IT infrastructure needed to implement. So we saw for the consumer doing it. If the ecosystem can come together and you have these technology providers saying, hey, let's just get this up and running, implement it for three months, and then we'll figure out like a SaaS model or whatever it's going to be or percentage, then that's helping this get adopted more widely. And seeing the industry come together in that way, to me, has been great because I think it's been long overdue. Yeah, I totally agree. Are there technologies uh, right now that you think, uh, you know, contactless is one of them that you said, but technologies that you think brick and mortar locations should start to adopt uh, now outside of contactless? Are there other things that you think they should be thinking about? Contactless, yeah. I mean, augmented reality in certain categories, you know, you saw it a lot in beauty. So it's like, again, how do you kind of add surprise and delight to that? Or are there other categories where that makes sense? So augmented reality for in-store, you definitely see a lot of VR for out-of-store to try to compensate for the in-person kind of sensation of retail experiences. But AR, contactless payments, Kinetic technologies also can be a little bit complicated, but I think that's interesting too, because, you know, there's a lot of storytelling that could be happening and interaction from the storefront window and the such that don't rely on touch. I mean, I think we've always thought that like everybody touching the same screen is pretty gross. (laughs) Like it's probably one of the dirtiest surfaces. Like if we could integrate responsive technology for that, I think that could work really well. Awesome. That's a wealth of information. Thank you for that. Um, any last uh, thoughts for our, for our listeners here? No, I mean, I think it's really, we're in early stages. And I think that, you know, brands and retailers need to be tactical, but know that we're going to have to test and iterate and be nimble and, you know, just try to always be learning in this stage. And I think it's interesting too, because people have talked about like, you know, it's collaboration over competition and you were starting to see a lot of unexpected partnerships come together. But I think you're going to also see that now more than ever. And I think that this is the time for people to kind of have an open-mindedness to learn together because like we all need consumers to feel comfortable coming back as a whole, not in isolation. So I think that that, that collaborative think is is really important right now. Agreed. Agreed. Well, thank you, Melissa, again. Melissa, CEO and founder of Linus Group and principal at MG2 Group. Thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Brick and Mortar Reborn. 
To find the resources mentioned in this show and detailed show notes, head over to brickandmortarreborn.com.